Astrology is the search for meaning in the sky. Astrology is known to go back at least as far as the second millennium BC. However, the calendrical designs of prehistoric monuments like Stonehenge, Newgrange, Machu Picchu, and Chaco Canyon suggest that humans were tracking the sky and planning their lives around the celestial bodies long prior to that. It may have started with agricultural civilizations attempting to build seasonal calendars to chart the ideal times for planting, harvesting, and surviving the long winters. Perhaps struggling and starving people kept awake at night by enforced fasts would look up at the stars and project their hopes and fears onto the sky. Just as possibly, perhaps they received their wisdom from celestial beings. The Holy Quran states, the devils disbelieved, teaching mankind magic, and that which was revealed to the two angels in Babel, Harut and Marut. The Book of Enoch, an ancient text sourced by Christians and Jews alike, describes fallen angels known as the Watchers as having instructed human beings in the secrets of science, cosmetics, construction, and astrology. In any event, the popularity of astrology waxed and waned in Europe throughout the centuries, with famous scientists Kepler, Copernicus, and Newton having been known students. And today, astrology is said to be increasingly back in vogue as more people turn to the stars for information about themselves, their best course of action, and their ultimate destiny. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. We have had a steady stream of listeners, and we continue to have a sizable minority from Great Britain, continental Europe, and Australia. That is very cool but we don't know very much about any of you. So please consider sending us an email at spectralskull at protonmail.com. Let us know what you like or dislike about the show and what topics you would like us to cover in future episodes. Yeah, let me just add, um, you know, we could always get really esoteric. We could go into detail about, you know, minute topics, but we've been a little worried about doing that because we don't want to lose anyone by going into something that may not be uh, general interest. So if you let us know what kind of things you're interested in, that might help us get a gauge of uh, where the audience is at. Yes, we are always open to constructive feedback here at the Spectral Skull Session. All right, let's get started. So in the past few decades, Chris, it's very popular to beat up on astrology. And so people have been saying... You know, for all my lifetime, 
totally ungrounded in science, nothing legitimate to it. You know, it's only for people who are easily taken in by, you know, the bizarre or paranormal. Uh, and indeed, I've read that astrology began to fall out of favor way back during the European Enlightenment, which is when it was first seen as superstitious. And also it lost favor because the new unified physics of Newton gave alternative explanations for the motions and influences of the celestial bodies. Yes, but now astrology is coming back into vogue. Uh, I've seen, in my readings, I've seen quite a bit on this. And so uh, one article titled, Why Are Millennials So Into Astrology? was published by The Atlantic. Also, uh, the article Psy, Why Is Astrology Coming Back? published by the website bitchesgetriches.com. Uh, both of these sites and more, I, I kind of discuss this phenomenon that's going on. Even going back to the past decade here, uh, I saw an article at Fox News discussing how astrological signs may impact sex life. I've seen article an article from CNN indicating how astrological birth order and uh, place might impact one's business success. So this is something that's out there in the ether, something that people are discussing. And of course, you know, those great pickup lines, hey baby, what's your sign, are now uh, ever more present in the dating world. And now is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. That's my big memory of astrology. <laughs> so Dane, are you going to give a rundown on how astrology works? Oh, that's great. So the basic idea of astrology is that the relative locations of the sun, the moon, major constellations, and other planets influence, or at least they correlate with, events here on Earth. <clears throat> as I understand it, the focus is on the sun. It's almost as if the sun is the source of all things in balance, but when other celestial phenomena move near the sun, they alter the balance and produce different results. The most basic feature of astrology is the sun, and its relationship to the zodiac. Oh, so first of all, here's how you find the zodiac, which I never even knew what the zodiac was until we started working on this episode. So the sun, as it moves through the sky during the day, it defines a line, right? You could just imagine the sun tracing a line from the east to the west. So nine degrees above and below that line is the zodiac. That's a line of space. And when objects move into that, they're in your zodiac. So as you know, uh, the sun traces a slightly different line each day because it's subtly shifting as the earth wobbles on its axis. So it's like a one degree shift of the zodiac line. And so different constellations will move into that intersecting line at different times. Celestial objects exert their influence as they enter that zodiac line, and they're supposed to affect the, lines, the lives of children born during their reign, uh, they affect what sort of life choices you should make and larger social events. Okay, so if I'm a Capricorn, uh, does that mean I was born when the sun zodiac line was intersecting with Caprica? Actually, Chris, that is Capricornus, the horned goat. And technically, no. You see, Capricas are born between December 22nd and January 19th. And if you had been born back in ancient Babylonian times, 4,300 years ago, then the constellation Capricornus would have been inside the zodiac line 
on the day of your birth. But the Earth's wobbling on its axis doesn't line up perfectly with the years. So over time, your astrological sign has ceased to line up with the actual conjunction of your corresponding constellation and the sun. Things won't be back on track until 23,800 A.D. Wow. So first of all, if I'm a Capricorn, that means I'm a goat. Uh, am I, in fact, the greatest of all time? The greatest goat of all time? No, the greatest of all time. G-O-A-T. I suppose so, Chris. Why, thank you. Uh, and I don't know if I can wait that long for things to be back on track. I want satisfaction now. Well, conveniently, the astrologers decided not to wait or even update your sign to match which constellation is actually in the zodiac line. They decided to keep the old Babylonian system. One book I consulted says this is because the stars don't actually do the affecting of your life. It's just that the stars were a way to mark the time. So really, it's just the time that matters, and that's what defines your sign. And it doesn't matter which constellation is actually in the sky. In any event, your astrological sun sign is supposed to determine your personality. But according to Ray Orion, that is the real name, author of Astrology for Dummies, your sun sign determines your true personality, which may not be apparent to outsiders. More important to how you come across to other people is your rising sign. The constellation that was rising in the east when you were born determines your rising, or they also call it ascended sign. This is what determines your persona, which is the mask you show to the world. For example, if you're a Capricorn by sun sign, but you were born between 4 and 5 p.m., then Cancer would be your rising sign. That's because Cancer is rising in the east during those times. Hmm, interesting. So uh, potentially somebody could have a uh, uh, sun sign that would place them as a Capricorn, and then they could have a rising sign with a, a persona that would be in stark contrast or complete contrast to their internal personality. Is that correct, according to this theory? That's exactly it, Chris. Interesting. That, that would seem to, perhaps, if this is true, be uh, cause for quite a bit of conflict for people or uh, maybe disconcerting from the end point that there might be some deception going on there. Did uh, anything you read speak to this idea of disparity between these two? Well, Ray Orion gives an interesting example. Uh, he or she, and I don't really know the gender of Ray Orion, um, did the Zodiac sign and the overall uh, horoscope reading for Whoopi Goldberg, the celebrity, mm -hmm. and said, okay, so Whoopi Goldberg is, I don't remember what her sign is, but she is a extroverted personality. Um, that's her, sorry, rising sign is extroverted and uh, kind of lackadaisical, kind of go with the flow. But he said that her true sign corresponds to a personality that is more calculating. And I was thinking, well, that kind of makes sense. Like Whoopi Goldberg's been a very successful actress and she does kind of come off as just like, I'm Whoopi, right? Like she's just kind of mm -hmm. chill. But in order to be that successful, you've got to be pretty smart. So there's got to mm -hmm. be quite a brain behind her. 
So yeah, it's per pretty interesting. In many ways, reminds me of her uh, character Guinan on the hit breakout Star Trek: The Next Generation, who was very personal and outgoing as a bartender, but always had some serious sage advice for her patrons. And also reminds me of the character that she played in the movie Ghost, where she was an actual medium, right? She could yeah, absolutely. see in the spiritual world. And now I can, all I can think about is the pottery wheel scene in that movie Ghost Day. I don't know if I you're familiar with that. People keep most... talking about the pottery wheel scene, and I don't remember why that's so important. I don't remember that scene. It's so... Uh, the uh, There's a ghost. I can't remember the character's name. Uh, male ghost this dead guy um, is making contact with his lover through Whoopi Goldberg. And so uh, I believe the ghost inhabits Whoopi Goldberg's body. And then there's romantics, this romantic scene where they're like making pottery together and he's sitting behind her. Uh, in many ways, a very interesting, uh, we might say uh, woke scene from the perspective of what we're seeing now in terms of acceptance of uh, unique forms of uh, sexuality in the modern world. Ahead of its time, for sure. Absolutely. But then I also read, so the times uh, for your rising sign, they at least actually depend on which constellation was actually rising when you were born. But that actually makes things even more complicated because two people could be born at the same time, but at different longitudes or latitudes on the earth. And so they would have different rising signs. For example, the sun came up at 6.39 a.m. in New York City today, but a thousand miles north in Montreal, Canada, it did not come up until 6.47 a.m. So two people born at the same time in New York and Montreal could actually have different rising signs. Your rising sign is actually the constellation that's actually rising. So it's, it's coming up over the horizon as you're born. Um, that's why astrologers say you kind of have two options. One is you need to get very exact about things and you use special computer software to figure out exactly how the earth was oriented when you were born. Or there's an easier thing you can do. You just consult a chart. And if your designated rising sign doesn't seem to fit you, you just consider the one next to it, so to the left or the right. So like maybe it turns out you were born right on the cusp of one sign and another, and so you know your rising sign doesn't quite fit. Maybe your mom says you were born at 4.30, but she was like on drugs right at the time and in a lot of pain, and actually you were born you know, an hour earlier, and so you know, it turns out you're on a different sign. So you kind of just have to fiddle with things and see what intuitively makes sense. Uh, so your sun sign and your rising sign are two important things to know in order to do a basic assessment of your personality in astrology. But the entire cosmos is divided up into 12 sectors called houses. The celestial objects in the different sectors of the sky at the moment of your birth together determine your personality and your destiny. So to imagine this, think that you're standing on the earth at the precise moment you were born and you're facing south, right? and you're looking at a gigantic clock face that's been superimposed on the sky. To your left, in the nine o'clock position, is the eastern horizon. So that's where your rising sign is. It's coming up over the horizon as you're born. That's also called your first house. If you're born at, at dawn 
that's where the sun is. If you were born at noon, though, the sun would be at 12 o'clock, right? If you're born at sundown, the sun is at 3 o'clock. If you're born at midnight, the sun would be below you, but also at 6 o'clock. Now, if you divide the heavens into 12 sectors, then each hour gets a sector or about 30 degrees of arc. The first degree of arc, as I just said, just below the horizon, the things that are just coming up between 8 and 9 o'clock, that's your rising sign, which determines your persona. Now, the second house, that's the 30 degrees of arc between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock, that determines your money, possession, and values. The third house between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock is communication, short travel, and siblings. The fourth house is home, roots, parents, and end-of-life destiny. The fifth is romance, children, and creativity. The sixth is work and health. The seventh is marriage and relationships. Eighth is sex, death, regeneration, and other people's money, and so on. Hmm. Well, that's a lot of houses. So how do the houses impact your life? So it depends on which celestial bodies are in which house at the moment you were born. For example, I looked up my own chart on alabe.com. That's A-L-A-B-E dot com. I was born at four in the afternoon, and I'm not going to say my exact birth date for privacy reasons. But anyway, my rising sign is Libra which according to alabe.com means my persona or my mask personality is very attractive and popular. Your charm helps you to get your own way and prevents others from getting angry with you. Peace and harmony at all costs is your battle cry. You can be the judge of whether that is accurate. But then my second house is Scorpio. And then Venus is in my fifth house. Venus represents love, right? And the fifth house is the house that corresponds to romance, children, and creativity. So if I'm understanding this correctly, I love romance, children, and creativity. To be perfectly honest, I'm not 100% sure that I'm understanding it correctly. And it does start to get very complicated at this point. Yeah, I would say it was already had gotten quite a bit complicated. And there is a lot more to, to it. So... Let's stop with the kind of basics background here. And although we should also say ancient astrologers only relied on the planets and constellations they could see with their naked eyes. So Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. Uh, modern astrology will use all eight planets plus the dwarf planet Pluto and another dwarf planet Chiron. Chiron is thought to be a super comet first discovered in the 1970s. Some astrologers believe that Chiron is the ruler of Virgo. Others associate it with Sagittarius. Many don't bother with it at all, and it has yet to be assigned the rulership of a sign. And this is the first thing we came across in researching astrology that's really bothered me. Because uh, I don't know much about the space between the stars, as Lindsay Sterling might say. However... I do know my planets and minor planets. The minor planet Chiron is described as being at least a very minor player in modern astrology. And yet, as I've already mentioned, Chiron is only, actually I haven't mentioned this yet, but it is true, Chiron's only 135 kilometers in diameter. Okay, so our moon is 3,474 kilometers, to give you some comparison. And 
I know of at least five objects in our solar system that aren't planets and yet are larger than Chira. Ceres, Vesta, Pallas, Hygiae, and Interamnia. So if Chiron is influential on our lives, why not all these other asteroids? Because Ceres has a 587 kilometer diameter, so it's almost five times larger than Chiron. And the smallest of these asteroids I just mentioned, Interamnia, it's 197 miles in diameter. Well, maybe they just made a mistake with Chiron. Yeah, I would definitely be inclined to ignore it. Is it Chiron or Chiron? In the calculation of your astrological sign. Uh, it represents past hurt and future healing. So maybe just don't worry about these things. It's easier to forgive your enemies and move on than take cues from some oversized comet lurking beyond the orbit of Saturn. It kind of freaks me out, to be honest. So there is a whole lot more to astrology than we are getting into here. We focus entirely on the basics of drawing up your astrological chart. We haven't gotten into the roles of the planets or the concept of transits, the role of the moon, or said anything using astrology to decide future events or to decide when to make important decisions. I think we got the basic idea out there. It's the relative positions of the celestial bodies with respect to the sun and the earth that determine your personality according to astrology. And then the different planets and celestial bodies have particular poles or influences they exert at different times. There seems to be interaction between the houses and the celestial bodies, although I'm a little unclear about how the permutations get generated. I think the interesting question to ask at this point, Chris, is, so like, why are people getting into astrology and uh, what basis could there be to astrology? Well, let's consider this argument for the power of astrology from B.V. Raman, who was a very influential Vedic astronomer. He worked in India and ran the Astrological Magazine. He also wrote numerous books about astrology, and in his book, Hindu Predictive Astrology, he gives an argument for the influential power of astrology. That a certain subtle power derived from nature pervades the entire universe, and the earth we inhabit is also subject to this mysterious and subtle power is evident to all. The various elements encompassing all matter are altered by the motions of this ethereal power. The acts of creation, protection, and destruction are embedded in the womb of the all-powerful time and these variations are brought about as a consequence of this subtle power. The sun, by his daily movements, and the change of seasons brings to perfection the embryo in plants and animals and brings about various changes on the earth. The moon, being nearest to the earth, exercises much influence on it, and as she wanes and waxes, rivers swell. The tides of the sea are ruled, and the planets and animals affected. The sun, as a central figure, predominates over the entire arrangement of the celestial system and the other planets, and stars are directed by his rays. Thus, it invariably follows that all bodies in nature, whether animate or inanimate, are subject to the motions of the celestial bodies. Not only those that are already in existence are influenced by the movements and configuration of planets, but also the impregnations and growth and development of the seeds from which all bodies emanate 
are molded by the quantity and quality of these influences at the time of impregnation. That's quite an interesting argument, don't you think, Chris? Oh, absolutely, Dane. So I see him saying is because the sun is the causal origin of all life and indeed like all things in our solar system, it has to be the motive and explanatory force behind all things. Do you think that that's essentially what he's saying here? Um, yeah, I think that's strong, strongly the interpretation that I took away from that quotation. So I think there's a certain plausibility to that. The sun drives everything. Certainly it's true, all life on Earth is because of the sun. And then I guess it's also true that we're all made of like stardust, right? So we're made of like sun material. So maybe we should look to the sun to explain what's happening in our lives. Of course, the moon also gets to influence us through her, the waxing and raining of the rivers. That's true. That's just obvious to us that uh, the moon affects our lives because it affects the tides. So there's a certain plausibility to the argument. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have a, I do have a theory about this, and I have not seen it elsewhere, but you know, uh, great minds think alike and all that, not to say that my mind is so great. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do know that the sun does influence human behavior patterns and animal behavior patterns, right? Uh, we also see that uh, maybe to a, a lesser extent with the idea of the moon. A lot of that is anecdotal as far as I know. You hear, you know, people who work at hospitals and, and the like talk about, uh, patients behaving bizarrely on nights of the full moon. Certainly other animals are directly influenced by it. Uh, I'm not sure that there's clear scientific evidence for that phenomenon. Are you, Dane? I don't know of any. I mean, I would think that uh, people might be more agitated on a full moon just because it's brighter. Yeah, perhaps. Sleep as well. Yeah, perhaps. And so if we think about, uh, for instance, we could think about the phenomenon of seasonal depression, which is a very real thing that happens when people receive much less sunlight, and that's just part of the natural cycling of the sun through the seasons in various parts of the world, and how uh, one clinical treatment for that is the use of a full spectrum UV light. In fact, I use that myself during the dark winter months. I use my lamp for about 30 minutes a day, and there is a warning on, on the lamp. It says if you use this for too long, it could potentially cause mania. And, and I've noticed uh, some really kind of a bizarrely uplifted moods if I, if I use a lamp more than that. So that part is perhaps personally experiential and anecdotal, but the, the larger phenomenon is true nonetheless. So my theory is that uh, solar, solar and weather patterns uh, influence development in very infants and very young children. And as we know, that's a period of time where the children are very... Um, susceptible to environmental changes in terms of their personal development and growth, right? So there could be a couple of different factors going on here. It could simply be uh, the light itself and the level of light that the child is receiving at the time might have some environmental uh, impact on their development. Certainly we know that the adults around that child are going to be experiencing mood effects to some degree or another based on that. And so that interaction and the nurturance or perhaps even the lack thereof could then also impact their development. 
it could also be, you know, in the winter months during that very early de developmental period, there's less opportunities for socialization. And in fact, you'll see that those born in the summer months tend to be the ones that have the more outgoing personalities, right? And it may simply be that they're just around more people at this very early stage of development. Or it could in fact be all of these things and other causal factors as well that connect back to the idea of uh, the sun and birth time and place having an influence on personality, right? Uh, so I think maybe uh, the mechanism of action that I'm describing is somewhat different from classical astrology, but we are still seeing uh, a cause that's being induced between uh, the, the seasons and the position of the sun and the amount of sunlight that's being received on development and personality in a way that uh, could kind of shunt people into these personality archetypes based on uh, their similar uh, early childhood development. I think that seems very plausible, Chris. And it seems plausible as a historical account of how astrology became popular. So clearly ancient people had to know things about the movement of the sun with respect to the earth and the stars because they needed to figure out very basic things to survive, right? So they could, in fact, like predict whether crops would succeed or fail, depending on whether they, you know, had planted them at the right time. And then clearly things in the sky affect our lives, right? They affect our mood. Um, they affect, you know, whether you can go outside or not without getting wet. And, uh, so it just seems like it's a natural inference from those things to the view that there's going to be other correlations between what's happening in the sky and what's happening down on the earth. So there's already so many correlations that are grounded in just necessity of life. Like why not more? Right. Absolutely. And I guess the question how, how, how many more, right? How far does it go? Yeah. One of the things I saw in doing my research was that um, the controversies down the ages were rarely about whether astrology was real or not, but about how specifically astrology could predict things. So like many Christians early in the day, like Augustine and others, were super concerned about astrology only because they were worried, well, if it predicts everything we're going to do, down to the moment-to-moment -moment progress of our life and our final destiny, then there's no room for human free will. But they didn't have a problem with the idea that, yeah, there could be a general determination of, like, your personality by the position of the stars. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff, Dane. It is interesting. I think we've gotten to one of the core issues about why astrology has been popular throughout history and maybe why um, it's coming back now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have any other hypothesis about ancient astrology Okay. or astrology in general? If you're going to push me, yeah, I guess I will tell you. I got another theory, but this one's way out there. But let me go with this. So this is up the, up the avenue of um, ancient aliens type stuff. You know, it could be, it's just a possibility, but it could be that ancient astrology arose at a time when the planets were actually occupied by intelligent beings. So ancient astrology only looks at uh, Mercury, Venus, 
Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. All of those planets could at one time have had a colony on them. So like Jupiter and Saturn, they could have had like, you know, advanced creatures living on their moons. I know like Titan and Europa and Ganymede, their various moons of Saturn and Jupiter are thought to be potentially habitable. Um, they've got a lot of water, liquid water on them. Some of them do at least. Um, maybe at one time the whole solar system, uh, at least all the visible stars, were colonized. And maybe ancient humans, and these may be like ancient, like prehistoric, in the sense that they were before our history, which doesn't mean they were primitive. They might have been very advanced humans, right? Um, but that we don't have any record of them. And perhaps they were interacting with colonized planets and civilizations within our solar system. So it could have been other humans. They, they themselves might have branched out to other planets, or there could have been aliens on other planets. And so they might have been uh, dealing with the literal influence of other civilizations. So Chris, I compare it to our elections right here in America. We talk about Russia and China trying to influence the elections, right? If one or the other were very powerful during an election, it could affect our whole country. Well, similarly, perhaps the influence of these planetary civilizations on Mars and Venus and Mercury waxed and wanes. Sorry, waxed and waned. They might have been like literally broadcasting propaganda to us on radio frequencies. Maybe when Venus was close, all the ancient advanced humans were picking up messages from Venus on their radios. When Mars was close, they got more messages from Mars. And so because Mars and Venus had particular styles of civilization or particular agendas they were trying to push that affected people here on Earth and it affected events. And so perhaps all of astrology is a kind of dim memory of a time when our entire solar system was teeming with life, was an exciting and very active uh, interplanetary civilization. Hmm, interesting. And so if you were take your theory a little bit further and kind of I like your analogy here, comparing it to election influence. Uh, and I'm, I want to take this analogy just a step further, too. Um, you know, a, as we know, uh, Russia in particular funded uh, various uh, online forms of propaganda, largely using memes, right, to uh, create division, particularly in the uh, la last, not most recent election cycle between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and I don't know if you've looked at some of these images, but uh, it, it's pretty interesting how they were able to use text and these striking images to create that sense of division and that sense of anger and alienation between the groups. And so as I think about the concept of memes, and I'm thinking about, okay, you know, how, if the aliens were kind of going to communicate with people, might it not be something like that? Light bulb moment, crop circles. Oh, shit. Yeah, Chris, that's quite possible. Giant memes, giant ancient alien memes out in the fields. That's definitely a working hypothesis for us to continue to follow up on. If anyone sure. out there has any experience with crop circles, please send us an email and get in touch with us. We'd love to talk to you. And I'm not saying that this is the truth. But it is certainly possible. For sure, Chris. 
Well, is there anything else we want to say? Are there possibilities about astrology that we think are worth discussing? You know, I, I think that we've uh, pretty well covered it. Um, it could be that there's some extra causal factor that's influenced by the position of the planets or the sun or uh, varying degrees of those astrological factors. Um, you know, and that thing that is influenced could itself be supernatural in nature, right? It could be, as you said, extraterrestrials. It could be, I don't know, something in the spiritual world, right? If we look at when... Uh, various holidays are, are uh, celebrated particularly we just we just got through Halloween right and there's this historical tradition across many cultures of that time of the year being when the spirits of, uh, of the deceased are closest to our realm they pierce the veil right and so maybe perhaps something is going on with the position of these things in the sky influencing that world which then influences us right so I mean, if there's any number of things that are possible here in the mechanism of actions and the causal chain that would allow something to be here. Again, it could be purely, purely scientific. It could be, as I described earlier, just uh, the impact of seasonal cycles, exposure to light and socialization relevant to what people can actually do during particular seasonal moments on personality development at Keystone Ages very early on, right? Absolutely. I guess one other thing that came up in that Atlantic article that we talked about, the Atlantic article put up, put forward some fact that I thought was really interesting, which is that a lot of young people who are getting into astrology right now will say, well, I don't really believe in it. It's just some, something kind of cool to look at, and yet they take comfort from it. So I thought, you know, there's also the possibility that a lot of what's driving astrology uh, is just that it's a starting point for any problem you have or question about your life, like, it's hard to be totally uncertain and have no ideas at all, but at least astrology gives you something to start off with. And then you might say, well, that's not right. You know, like I'm supposed to be a Taurus. Is that how they say it? Taurus or Toro? T-A-U-T-A-U-R-U-S? Um, I, I think it's a Taurus. Taurus. Okay, so I'm a Taurus. But I don't know if I'm really all that stubborn. You know, and then you start to say, well, am I really stubborn? Maybe that's an overstatement. But... um. To like have at least a specific, definite uh, hypothesis to start with, you know, gives you a place to work from and then to advance to. So maybe part of what keeps astrology going um, is just it's a starting point, gives you something to say, some some thoughts to yeah. begin with. And, and at it, at its core, it's just another way to kind of conceptualize and make sense of the world, right? right. And so having that contextual framework does bring comfort to people. And so I, I think you have a really good point there, Dane. Absolutely. Well, we have a little bit of time left. Uh, do you want me to finish with uh, discussing uh, this experiment I did when Mars was in conjunction with Earth? Yeah, I'd be interested to hear more about this, as I'm sure would be our listeners. So uh, I don't know if everybody knows about this, but uh, I've always been really interested in astronomy and, uh, you know, interested in the planets. Only recently have I learned about astrology. But so it was October 7th, 2020, just this year. Uh, Mars was at its closest approach to Earth. It was apparently the closest that it will be for 17 years. So I went out and I did a little experiment. I went outside. I went to a park alone and I went up and I just meditated on Mars. 
and I tried to commune uh, with the red planet. And so here's my uh, records that I wrote from after I went out and did that. It says, I went out alone at night to a park on the ocean. I stood looking up at the sky and I opened a channel. What I got back surprised me. There was a dull buzz at first, like the kind you might hear an insect make. I've heard that before sometimes when meditating and focusing on celestial bodies. So I tried to focus deeper. It was like when you sit and listen to a fan intently for half an hour. At first you hear only a single buzz, but as your focus deepens, you can differentiate the whir of the motor from the whoosh of the fan blades, and eventually the whoosh of the fan blades from the whoosh of the air across the grill. In this same way, the dull buzzing slowly differentiated itself and became progressively more and more complex. It fractalized into a harmony of voices, each strong, deep, slightly robotic, and profoundly alien. And yet, despite the strangeness, I have to say it was also in a way reminiscent of a men's choir humming the first bars of a harmonization. I understood that transmission to be the beacon of the guardians of Mars. The beacon serves for astral navigation and identification purposes. I sensed that the chorus of spirits represented an indescribable number of deeply rooted beings. So deeply rooted they are more like a sentient lighthouse than a loose, fleet-footed collection of angels. A line from Milton's Paradise Lost passed through my mind. They also serve who only sit and wait. The line might be better paraphrased, they also serve who only sit and hum. I would have stayed and kept listening because my sense was that they became larger and more present, articulated and real the longer I focused on them. It may also have been that I was in a sense moving across the void of space and getting closer to them, a kind of astral projection. Either way, some noises in the park disrupted my focus. And I sensed the distances between me and them with a sudden glowing clarity, as if they were literally receding from me. And then I was just looking up at a tiny red smudge in the sky. Worried about other people moving around in the shadows, I lost interest entirely and moved on. And then it all seemed like a fantasy, not something that had really happened at all. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Spectral Skull Session. Stay strange, everyone. And stay sane. <laughs>